Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to study the Scriptures with me for a few moments as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. Do you remember that in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus announced in his great Olivet Discourse that this gospel about the kingdom must be preached in all the world? And in the parallel verse in the 13th chapter of Mark, the parallel verse, that is, to Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said, the gospel must first be preached in all the world. Now, if you combine the evidence of these two verses, Matthew 24, verse 14, and Mark chapter 13, verse 10, you will find that the gospel is defined as the gospel, or this gospel, about the kingdom of God. Now, that's a most important definition. You see, the term gospel is just a shorthand form of the longer phrase, this gospel about the kingdom of God. So every time you come to the word gospel in the New Testament, remind yourself that the correct definition is found in Matthew 24, verse 14. It's this gospel concerning the kingdom of God. The gospel is perhaps the most important word in the entirety of Scripture. The gospel defines what it is we must believe and trust as God's message in order to be saved. Now, Jesus was the great exponent and preacher of the gospel of the kingdom. He came bearing the good news which leads to salvation. Jesus, in fact, likened the gospel message of the kingdom to a seed which must reside in our heart permanently if we're going to bear fruit and eventually become immortal in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Now, the essential seed that must take root in our hearts is precisely that, the message or gospel about the kingdom of God. You'll find that in Matthew 13, verse 19. That verse is found in the middle of the parable of the soils. Jesus likened soil to the different kinds of reception that his gospel message would receive. All of us are in one of the four categories of soil there. We're either good soil bearing fruit, or we're soil that is cluttered with weeds and thorns and other obstructions which prevent the bearing of fruit. Jesus said that the gospel message of the kingdom is the essential seed which must initiate and spark life in us. It's the key to immortality, the reception of Jesus' own words, his gospel about the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter 1, verses 23 to 25, the great apostle spoke about being born again, and he said that a Christian is to be born again through the word of the gospel preached to him. 1 Peter 1, verse 25. Peter, you see, was echoing the very words of Jesus in the parable of the sower. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom is the essential saving seed which must take permanent root in our hearts for the salvation process to begin. Now, believing is the most important activity a Christian is involved in. It matters very much what we believe. Remember that Paul in Galatians 1 warned that we may not and must not distort the gospel. We must not put additives into the gospel or subtract from the gospel. Just as healthy food requires a whole range of nutrients and we must not poison the food, we must not add to it or take away from it, so exactly with the gospel, the gospel must be maintained in all its biblical purity. 
And the gospel, first of all, then needs to be defined in the terms that Jesus used to define it. He spoke always of preaching the gospel about the kingdom of God. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus gave a beautiful definition of the point of his whole mission. He said, I came to preach the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's the reason God commissioned me. And you'll remember, of course, that he commissioned the apostles and the Christians of all the ages to carry on his own work, to preach the very same gospel as he had preached. It would make sense, then, that Christians should follow the example of Jesus and preach the gospel about the kingdom. But are we doing that effectively? My experience is that many Christians are somewhat bewildered when you put to them the fact that the gospel contains information about the kingdom of God primarily. Now, the gospel also contains information about the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's absolutely clear. But the foundation of the gospel was not the death and resurrection of Jesus. The foundation was laid by Jesus himself, and he spoke of the gospel of the kingdom long before he mentioned a word about his death and resurrection. In fact, the apostles went out to preach the gospel of the kingdom under Jesus' supervision even before they understood that there was such a thing as the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you look in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34, you'll find that the apostles were startled, amazed, even offended at the idea that Jesus was going to have to die and be raised from the dead. And yet those very same apostles had been preaching the gospel of the kingdom, had been studying under Jesus' tutelage for some three years, preaching the gospel, the saving gospel, and yet at that stage no information had been given by Jesus to the apostles in regard to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so you see, the gospel is a two-pronged message. It is composed of two major elements. Firstly, the kingdom element. Secondly, the element concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why in Acts 8.12 we find this wonderful early creedal statement. We read there that Philip was preaching the gospel about the kingdom of God and the things concerning the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus means his whole agenda, everything that he stood for, the revelation of his character and his mind, all that is involved in the name of Jesus. And I mentioned in passing that it's nothing to do with the way you pronounce the word Jesus. Some have unfortunately thought that it's essential to pronounce Jesus as a Hebrew word. We must always say Yeshua, they say. We mustn't say Jesus that's a complete misunderstanding of the term name in the Bible. A man's name is not just the way it's pronounced. It has to do with the complete self-revelation of his character and purpose. Now, it doesn't matter whether you pronounce Jesus in its Hebrew form, Yeshua, or Yehoshua, or in its Greek form, Jesus, or in its English form, Jesus. Those are not matters of consequence in the New Testament. You see, the New Testament is inspired in the Greek language. And those eight authors of our New Testament who wrote in the Greek language were not troubled at all by using the Greek form Jesus to designate the name of Jesus Christ. His Hebrew name certainly would have been Yeshua or Yehoshua, as the English word Joshua. But it matters not at all that they wrote in the Greek language and it has no effect upon one's salvation if one chooses to pronounce the name of Jesus in its English form, Jesus, or in its Greek form, Jesus, 
or even in its Hebrew form, Yeshua. And the same principle is true of the divine name, the name for God. It may be Yahweh, most unlikely Jehovah, Yahweh or Yahweh, various forms have been proposed. No one knows for sure how the divine name was pronounced. But the fact is that in the New Testament they didn't use that divine name in its Hebrew form. They were happy to use the word God in Greek, Orthos, or Father, or the Lord God, and so on. So matters of pronunciation should not divide Christians. Unfortunately, there are some who make a huge issue out of the correct pronunciation of a name. That's to reduce the Bible to a kind of magic. It's not the way you pronounce a name that counts for your salvation. It's what's in your heart and your mind and your understanding. And principally, the grasp of the great message of salvation, what Jesus called the gospel about the kingdom of God. Luke 4, verse 43, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and many other passages. If you would like to have a free article on this issue of the definition of the gospel in the New Testament, we invite you to request from us an article entitled The Christian Gospel in the New Testament. In that article, we detail all the different phrases which describe the Christian gospel in the New Testament. There's a master text which must be grasped, the gospel about the kingdom of God, and beyond that, there are many variant forms of that phrase, gospel of the kingdom. There's the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our salvation, and so on. But there's only one gospel in the New Testament. It is to confuse and divide our New Testament records to suggest that there's more than one gospel. Some have thought that the gospel of grace is different from the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, such an idea is contradicted flat by Acts chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. In that passage, Paul clearly says that the gospel of the grace of God is exactly equivalent to the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Paul summarized his whole mission and ministry there as he bade farewell to the Ephesian elders, and he said, I went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom among you. At the same time, one verse earlier, he'd said that it was the gospel of the grace of God which had preoccupied him. And so there's no difference at all between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace of God. There is one gospel which beautifully unites the pages of our New Testament documents, and it's one gospel, the same gospel for Jew and Gentile alike. God did not offer one plan of salvation to the Jews and another to the Gentiles. All Christians... Embrace one hope, Paul said, one God, one Lord Messiah, and there is one gospel of salvation. All Christians of the New Testament times and subsequently until Christ returns are destined to inherit the kingdom of God and to rule with Christ on the earth. Revelation 5 and verse 10. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, as the foundation of his gospel of the kingdom they're going to inherit the earth. Now, the earth or the land is simply the great land promise sworn to Abraham. The gospel, according to Galatians 3, verse 8, was preached beforehand to Abraham. The terms of the gospel were laid out to Abraham in the great promise about the land and the distinguished offspring, the seed. And the promised seed is the famous and distinguished descendant of Abraham, turned out to be Jesus Christ, 
Jesus of Nazareth, that is, who walked this earth some 2,000 years ago. He was the legal agent of God, the Son of God, God's direct and inspired representative on this earth, the one speaking the very words of God, the prophet whom Moses said would be raised up from the family of Israel, in whose mouth the very words of God would be spoken. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 18. The whole of the Bible story revolves around the great characters of one God, that's one God the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah who is the Son of God, and the message of the kingdom of God brought by Jesus and relayed by the apostles until the coming of Christ in the future. There's one gospel, there's one God the Father, and there's one Lord Messiah who is the Son of God, there are two lords in the Bible, if you like, the Lord God and the Lord Messiah. But there's only one God, and there's only one Son of God. The issue of who God is is very confused in many circles today. We would invite you to request from us a booklet entitled, Who is Jesus? This will enable you to see that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, according to the Bible. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one message of salvation given us, and it's the message about the gospel of the kingdom, that seed, according to Matthew 13:19, which must take root in our hearts if we're going to be saved. We invite you to request from us the various items of free literature we've been mentioning, and join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the gospel about the kingdom of God.